Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 37. Our special guest is Suzanne Fletcher. Hi, Suzanne Fletcher, and welcome to Broadway's Backbone. Well, thank you, thank you, glad to be here. I'm going to start by uh, reading your Broadway credits okay. and then ask you where you're from. Vestal Whorehouse in Texas, Raggedy Ann, Jerome Robbins Broadway, Guys and Dolls, The Goodbye Girl, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. You also did the Annie Get Your Gun Tour and the Full Monty Tour. And I did uh, the Full Monty for a week on Broadway. For a week on yes. Broadway. Oh, I want to ask that question. <laughs> so, um, where are you from and how did you get started? I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. And I started, uh, I started taking dancing when I was four years old. And it was doctor's orders. I, uh, I had a foot, uh, it was almost a club foot. My right foot went, went, turned in significantly and my mother who wanted a perfect daughter, I guess. Um, she took me to the doctor, <laughs> and uh, and he said, uh, put her in ballet and don't take her out. So I started at the Martinique School of Dance in Richmond, Virginia. Ms. Martin was my dance teacher, and she had a studio out near Southside Plaza. <laughs> and uh, and I started when I was four. Um, and, uh, and and actually, that week was a significant week in uh, in my life because. I, we had moved to Richmond three weeks before. My father was a, a, an engineer with DuPont, and we got transferred down to Richmond from Wilmington, although both of my parents were from Virginia, and I'm a Virginian through and through. Um, and three weeks after we got there, that week, that week of sep- the first week in September, um, I turned four, because my birthday is September 7th. I started dancing school, and my father died. Oh my God. All in that same week. And we'd been in Richmond three weeks when that happened. So, so when I look back on it, uh, from the moment that I started dancing school, it was a safe haven, haven for me. It was a place to get me away from, from whatever was going on at my house, you know, at the time. I mean, in the beginning, I'm sure it was just grief and, and just, I had, you know, three older brothers and my mother and, and, uh, and we were all in shock. He, he died of an aneurysm, brain aneurysm, like, you know, very suddenly. He had a headache, he passed out, and four hours later he was dead. So. And do you and remember at four years old him being gone? No, no, I don't remember anything about him. I just remember the ambulance pulling away because they sent one of my brothers and I across the street. But I, I don't have any memory of him or any of that, you know, but... Uh, it de- definitely rocked our our world oh, completely. Yes. And, and dancing school was was it probably saved me, you know. Not to mention it did correct my foot <laughs> ultimately. Well, you know? so how does that work? You had a club foot, just the turnout of it. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, all the all of the ballet stuff you're turning out and turning out and turning out. And uh, although I don't know how much you know you're doing it for, but uh, and my dance teacher and my mother were both like barracudas about it you know every time if I was standing anywhere with my foot turned in one or the other of them was going to be like turn your foot out you know and my, <laughs> and my, my dancer she used to make me walk around the studio foot front foot front foot front and uh, and I, I know my mother used to come into my 
bed, you know, I, I have memories of her coming in while I was sleeping and turning my feet out, you know. And, and, and even still, I can still do a perfect inverted oh my position, gosh, yes, you know, you, you know, and I, you know, I'm, all of that. Um, but uh, at some point, when I get tired, it would start to turn in too, and they'd be like, "Turn your foot out," you know. <laughs> it was like kind of a mantra of my childhood: "Turn your foot out." So anyway, so that's how I started, and uh, and I knew it was never. I, I knew I could never quit, but fortunately, um, I loved it. You know, and then my dance teacher and my mother became best friends, and then my dance teacher's daughter was my age. I mean, we literally were in third grade together, and fifth grade together, and junior high together, and so it, that became a, a, a just family, you know. So. And you continued doing that all through high school. Yeah, yeah, I, I, the whole time I, uh, and and Miss Martin was like, she was really. Mark, because she knew what she knew and she knew what she didn't know. So by the time we were about eight, and also because her daughter was my age, this was when she was probably at her peak teaching. Oh, okay. You know, because she wanted all of those opportunities for her daughter, and I got to like, you know, piggyback on all of that. So, like when we were eight, she brought a, a teacher down from New York for the summer, and we took class all summer. And and then when we got a little older, when I was like, the, we we came to New York like for a week or two in the summer, and. The first time I came to New York, I was 10. And there used to be this great studio. It was called uh, National Academy of Ballet. It was run by Thalia Meyer. And it was really for young people up till 18. And she had a, a, a during the, the school year, she had a, um, a board, they boarded. I mean, these kids got good fast. They all ended up in ABT in New York City Ballet. And we, we came in for one or two weeks. But, yeah. but we would take ballet, character, Variation. The older kids took partnering. Um, you know, no jazz, tap, any of that. It was it was a ballet school, and so, so, and that was. It's funny because I didn't grow up thinking I'm going to be in show business. You know, I, I just didn't have that. But I knew at ten years old that I was going to live in New York. Wow! Because we came up here. We stayed at this old this hotel called the Great Northern Hotel. It was over on Seventh Avenue, kind of on like the fifties somewhere. And right across the street from us, there was a like a Smilers. You know, those they used to be those Smilers all over the place. Yeah. So, you know, and Ms. Martin used to send us over to get milk in the morning because we'd have those little things of cereal that you know in the box. That's you know, and uh, <laughs> yes. and, and the the Smilers was right by the. Um, what was it? The Americana Hotel. So we we were standing. I'll never forget this. It's clear as today as it was in nineteen beep boop beep boop sixty five. Um, I was wait. We were waiting to check out, and the there was three airline stewardesses walked in from Pan Am Airlines in nineteen sixty five because they were all staying at that hotel, yeah. and they were the grooviest women I had ever seen. They had this little. The, the little bubble hats on and the short little skirts and their cute little Pan Am outfits and false eyelashes and the blue eye you know shadow and the poofed up hair and I was like I have to live here I have to live in this town I just you know I didn't know what I was gonna do but I, I knew I, I had at someday I was gonna live in New York so I love that yeah so you know ten years old because I was not groovy. 
<laughs> I was never the groovy. I was never groovy. You're groovy now. You have blonde streaks in your well, hair. Well, yeah, well, that's just like you know controlled aging, really. It's just it's white, and I'm, you know, so I just contain it. Oh, I like it. <laughs> so in high school and college, did you pursue musical theater or dance or anything like that? Um, in high school, uh, well, I I would continue to dance, uh, and no, we didn't. The year I started high school, they started busing Richmond, Virginia, and so the, a lot of the programs kind of went out the window. My high school did not do any musicals. My college did not do any musicals. I, I had no thought that I was going to be end up in musicals. I, I didn't even think I was going to end up in dance. Um, I was going to be a phys ed major when I went to college. I was really? Like a little baby dyke in training. <laughs> <laughs> because while I, when I wasn't dancing, I was an athlete. I was like a swimmer, competitive swimmer, competitive diver. And in high school, I was a triple letterer in sports. The first one in my family with three older brothers, I was a triple letterer. Wow. Field hockey, and I didn't know I was gay. <laughs> Gymnastics and tennis, so. So, um, so I was gonna go get a degree in, in PE and teach phys ed in high school. Wow! And uh, <laughs> it cracks me up that you call yourself a baby. I, I can't even say that word. I feel like no, I'm you can't like, because you're not. <laughs> I know. Like so, just to hear someone say it, I'm like, I can't say that. No, you can't. And I, and I don't think I ever have. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's just funny to hear someone use it, kind of casually too, as a joke. And right, so it's just right. so that's what I love about you is you're. You're, what you see is what you get. You're very, you're very frank. You're very open. You're very honest. Have you always been like that, even when you were younger? Uh, no, um, I, I, maybe, maybe a part of me was, but I had a lot of secrets that I that I had to keep. As a kid, I was I was uh, sexually abused for nine years, and and all that goes with that, and uh, so. I, there was so much of myself that I had to withhold from the world and I think that when I got when I became an adult there was just a kind of a a moment where I just just thought I'm not editing my life for anybody anymore because the damage of all of that was so profound and it took so long to recover from it that I I there's nothing in my life that um that I'm ashamed of you know, and secrets are shame-based, and, right. and there's nothing that I'm ashamed of. So you know, so, and I think, I think also, I I I always feel a little bit like, um, kind of on the vanguard, on the forefront of things, and you know, the more people get used to something, then the less they're afraid of it. And then I was at the front of the people getting used to something. I mean, like just coming out and being gay, you know, um, in, in musical theater, you know, lesbians in musical theater, not that common, you know. Yeah, and, I don't know that many. Yeah, that, yeah, you probably about me and that's it. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and so I just like to crash down the walls and the barriers and by being frank and being open, I think it allows room for the people behind me to come through without, uh, without the struggles, you know, I want to, I want, I do want to leave the planet a little easier for the next generation in in whatever way I can, especially you know, lesbians that want to end up in musical theater that didn't think it was possible, right? You know, that that I I like I like opening those doors, you know, for other people, then they can walk through it.
Well, what led you to New York and to start uh, Bessel Ross in Texas? Well, um, I went to college. I went to a little tiny, um, uh, it was an all-women's college until my senior year, and then because of Title IX, they had to go co-ed, but it was a state school, and I, and I was going to major in education and, and teach phys ed, <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> which is, it, I don't know, it is kind of mind-boggling in a way, isn't it? You know, how, how your life can... It's funny because I feel sorry for the, the young people coming up now because their trajectories are set when they're in eighth grade. They're already like trying to figure out, you know, where they, what they have to do to get into the right conservatory or performing arts college. By mm -hmm. ninth grade, they're already so in it, you know, and it's like, where is that time where you can change your mind and and realize, you know, have other realizations about yes. yourself. And so I, I really, by the time they get here, they're burnt out because they've been professional since they were like 14 and 15 years old. Yes, very true. You know? Yeah. So for me, um, well, by the time I even started college, from when I got accepted to when I started going, I kind of knew I didn't want to be a phys ed teacher. And I'd always dance, and I danced in college. But what really got me going was... Um, there was a little bulletin on our dining room tables that used to talk about, you know, whatever was happening. And, and for some reason, there was a little blurb in there about an audition down in Williamsburg, Virginia for an outdoor drama called um, The Common Glory. It was a Paul Green outdoor drama for a summer job. And, and I thought, well, I, I'd been lifeguarding for three summers, and I was like, I'm ready to do something new. So... I got in my car and I drove down to Williamsburg and auditioned and they, it was dancers who danced, singers who sang, and actors who acted. You know, Mary Twain shall meet. In fact, when we were on stage with that, the, like at one point at the end of the first act we sang Yankee Doodle Dandy, only the original words, mm. you know, and they actually told the dancers to mouth the words. We were not oh allowed to gosh. sing Yankee fucking doodle dandy. Are you kidding me? Oh. So, um, but, but no, anyway. I remember that. Yeah. Know, dancers don't talk. They don't. Yeah. They're just and to be seen. That's right. And now, good God, you better dance, sing, act, play five instruments, do acrobatics, and P.S. can you sweep the floor? Yeah. You know, now it's so different. But back then, it, it really was just as that was changing. So anyway, I, I um I got cast and it was this um, the choreographer was Myra Kench who was an um very old I mean she was probably in her eighties at the time and she was a, a modern she had, she was a modern dancer that was her background and she had uh, I used to have a company and she and Martha Graham would talk to about to each other about where their companies were gonna be so that they wouldn't be in the same place at the same time I mean she was a high caliber choreographer and mean as a snake oh my god she was so she would she, I had such great training for this business you know by the time <laughs> I got to Jerry Robbins I was like you know is that all you got you know <laughs> but um and I so I did that for two summers and the the most significant thing about that for me was that I fell in love with the world that was the first time I'd been in the theater world, and not just the you know that, you know dancing school dancers world or right. dancing classes world, but the the kind of the musical theater world, and it was like I had finally found the place where I belonged, and I still feel that way. I I it is my tribe. It is a hundred percent my tribe, and I believe me, I've tried to leave it 
on occasion. Oh. Uh, and and part of what always draws me back is that this is my tribe. These are my people. They understand me. I understand them. And nobody else really gets me, or I don't even get them really. Not like theater people. Not like not like our group. Oh no, I completely agree. The word tribe I've been hearing a lot lately, and it's such a great, great description, you know. And it's not only in LGBT, but also in in musical theater. There is a place that it's comfortable, and the word tribe I think is is perfect. It's perfect. I've used it for a long time because I couldn't come up with a, a word that really described it more. And and um, I, you know, first of all, we allow we allow crazy. And we yes. respect crazy. It's almost like being from the South, you know. It's like <laughs> the South, you, you, you love your crazy relatives. It, it gives you good stories to tell, you know. But we allow crazy. And, and, I mean, none of us go into this business because we're emotionally stable. We've yeah. all gotten here because the, we either we had, uh, we just experience or feel or, or, you know, more than most people. And we have a, a need to express it in a way that most of the world is uncomfortable with. And we allow each other all of that. Yes, we do. You know? And we allow each other to, you you know, be gay or straight or, you know, what, you name it, you know, um, any ethnicity. I mean, we are just the most inclusive, welcoming group, period. Yeah. You know, and that's the world I always want to live in. Me too. And we understand the creative process with each other. so. We we understand that it's not that it's it's a stormy voyage, and we give each other a lot of room in that to be as um, fragile as we are, you know, because we're it's very fragile to put to put yourself out there the way that we do. Definitely. I mean, it really is. People have no idea how much it takes out of you to pour the that part of yourself out. To the world, you know, and how scary it is. Oh, you know? it's petrifying. It's petrifying, yeah. and it, it's never not. Right. It's never not. I still, even to this day, and uh, an audition. I mean, one of my main things is battling my nerves. Yep. And it doesn't get easier. Never gets easier. No. It almost gets harder because there's less things to audition for as you get older, especially if you're a woman, and you have more to lose by not by not doing well because there's an expectation right you know that you know your your history kind of precedes you in a way in one way and in another way they don't give a rat's ass what you've ever done you know so it's like Just it's really it, a weird, yeah, bring weird it combination you, you yeah. know yeah. yeah yes we really respect you we, uh, we don't care what you've done at all yeah, you know just, it's just, just bizarre good. yeah, yeah. You mentioned a, a New York director, Krog, for coming down to working with you in regional theater, that he was the one that kind of changed your... Well, after I graduated from Longwood College in Farmville, Virginia, I went back to um, Richmond for like a year and a half, and I did dinner theater down there, non-equity, chew and view. <laughs> chew and view, I've never chew heard view, that. Yes. <laughs> non-equity dinner theater, and the first show I auditioned for was um, Oklahoma, uh, which, P.S., would have been the... Um, like, well, I, at, other than the Common Glory, it was the first musical I ever did. Um, 
And uh, they had brought this dinner theater, had brought down a director choreographer from New York named Tom Panko. And he had been Anna White's assistant. She was a huge choreographer in the 50s and 60s, enormous. Lots of film, lots of TV. I mean, like she and Michael Kidd were kind of, oh. you know. And, um, and he was, uh, so he really knew the world at a very high level. Um, he was also um, a raging drunk, <laughs> you know. Another one like, oh my God, he used to just rip us a new a-hole. I mean, you know, it, it just, uh, his uh, rehearsals were rough man you know and and then as the night went on they'd get worse and worse you know but one night after the show and i played uh gertie with my little laugh and i had my uh my first time i ever sang by myself on a stage i had one 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 line it was in out of my dreams and it was when the mist is low and stars are shining through, and I would stress about that every every night. I mean, I'd always sung, I sung choruses and stuff like that. And I had this huge alto voice, but I'd never been trained. I'd never sung by myself. I mean, you know, so it was like the rawest of any of my abilities. Um, and one night after the show. We were having drinks because it was a dinner theater, so there was a bar open after the show, and he was drunk, and he had this all like, you know, he had these cigarettes with the um, what they called aqua filters that he that he had had yes. and with the cigarette ash that was like almost falling off for you know four minutes would be three inches long, and you're just watching it waiting for it to fall. And he's like, you, and he's pointing at me. He said, you could be on Broadway, and I was like, oh, Tom, <laughs> and then I. Stop for a minute. I thought, you know what, Suzanne? He's he, even though he's really drunk, he hasn't said that to anybody else, and he knows that world. Right. You know, it's just not like your aunt, you know, Lillian saying, "Oh, you know, you, you know." It's like this man lived there. He yeah. knows it. So it 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 at least allowed me to know that that um, that maybe I had enough to go to New York, you know. I mean, I really didn't know what I was capable of, what kind of talent. I, I was just clueless. I just was here, you know. I mean, I knew I danced well. Right. But I, I, I really was clueless in terms of what I brought to a stage or what, you know, what I had to offer. So, um, so uh, then I did one more show for him. He brought me up to, the, he was doing Oliver out in, uh, uh, on Long Island, and this was an equity production, and he called me on a Monday, and he said, I'm going to do, um, Oliver, do you want to come up, get your equity card, be dance captain, be in the show? And I'm like, okay, you know, and, and by Friday I was in New York, and uh, so, um, and I lived in my cousin's, my cousin was a dancer with Joffrey, Glenn White, and uh, so he was out on the road, so I stayed in his apartment up in Spanish Harlem in 1979. Seriously, I was the only, like, English as a native language person in Spanish Harlem. Um, And I went out and I did that show and then um, came back to Virginia and then got my shit together and then moved up for real in the the fall, uh, winter of 79. Oh. So that's what got me to here. Yeah, with you your know? equity card and with my yeah, equity card, and ready to be on Broadway. But I was so green, man. I mean, seriously, my first my first couple of auditions, I think I still wore pink tights. I mean, you know, 
mean, no. And I, I still, I didn't really have, um, I, ne- I hadn't taken any acting. I, you know, had an untrained voice, um, but I could dance, you know. And I, and I had a hunger. I had, I had a hunger, which is another thing that I see missing from so many of the kids these days because they're practically burnt out by the time they get here. Yeah. They don't have that hunger. And, and it's something else too. They finish these programs, they come to New York with an agent already, and uh, with their like, careers kind of mapped that out in their minds. And you know, we just got on whatever bus we could get on Absolutely, with a yeah. suitcase where we were like one step away from Peggy Sawyer. Yeah. I, I mean, out, out of my peers, I'm one of the few I know that even went to college. Most everybody else right out of high school came up here, especially yeah. if they were dancers. So the, we got here by hook or crook because we had to be here. There was no other option. Mm-hmm. And once we got here, we were willing to do pretty much whatever it took. Whatever, yeah. You know? So I, I went to every audition, every audition. I knew I was learning, you know. And I mean, if they wanted an 80 year old black woman, I went, you know. <laughs> Let them figure it out, yeah. you know. And learned and learned and learned. And like for seven months, I, I couldn't get arrested, man. But I kept, I went to everything. And then I got Whorehouse. How was that audition? It was on the stage. Was that? Is that yes, that? Oh. it was at the Forty Sixth Street Theater, which I I always tell my friends because I've worked that theater twice. Once at the Forty Sixth Street, and once when it changed over to the Richard Rogers. And I, I I do want when I die a little bit of my ashes spread backstage at the Forty Sixth Street oh. Theater because it's like I feel like that's when I came alive. Yeah, you know. So it was um it was a rainy day, and um. I was uh, I wasn't gonna go because I just auditioned for the film three weeks before, and it was at that point it was the same creative staff mm. of the same creative people. It was before Dolly came in and, and had them all fired and brought in her own people. <laughs> so it was Pete Masterson and Tommy Toon and and uh, uh, that gang and uh, so and I just I'd gone to audition for the film three weeks before and I'd gotten typed out. I mean I didn't even get to go into the room so. Here it is three weeks later, and now they're auditioning for the Broadway show, and I was like, it's the same people that just typed me out three weeks ago, I'm not going, and my friend called me up, and he's like, he was from North Carolina, he's like, honey, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, it's raining, and he's like, why are, are you going to the, the whorehouse audition? I said, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. He said, you get your ass down there right now because you're supposed to do that show. I'm like, really? He said, I mean it. So I went down there, and I said, well, I, at least I can say I auditioned for Tommy Toon, yeah. you know, and I get to be on the stage of the 46th Street Theater because that was the great thing about those auditions. You, you got you, you were on the stages. All the stuff was in the wings, all the sets, and there's the costumes, and you know, and and now of course you don't get anywhere near the stage, no. you know. But you waited at the stage door, and they let you in, and and you got to be on these stages, and it made it possible because you I mean there it was there's the audience you know with all the empty seats and and you could just imagine that that someday you would be up there for real and there'd be mm-hmm. people you know but anyway so so we danced and uh, they cut and I got kept and I was like well at least I can say I got kept for Tommy Tune, you know and then we danced again and I got kept and I was like well at least I can say I got kept twice for Tommy Tune, and then we sang and I sang one of my two songs I had, Adelaide's Lament, the totally wrong song for the best little whorehouse in Texas. And they kept me. 
And then they um, taught us part of Hard Candy Christmas, and we sang that. Then they lined us up across the front of the stage. And by now, there was about 12 of us left. And I was still going, well, at least I can say I got... And then I looked, and I was like, you know, Suzanne, you you might have a chance at this. Yeah. I mean, it was the first time in that... I was probably so relaxed, because I so didn't expect to get it. That, yes. You know, it was probably heaven sent. And then um, they came down and said... Um, Cecily Douglas, Bessie Friday, and Suzanne Fletcher, will you please stay? Everybody else, thank you very much. And uh, and and then they and then it just was like, bada bing, bada bang, bada boom. You're going to be playing this part, and you're going to be playing this part. And then they looked at me and they said, well, we're going to have you do Beatrice for the first two weeks, and then you're going to be Ruby Ray after that. But we need to get you over to sign your contract now. Have you come back, do a costume fitting this um, this evening, and then can you see the show tonight? And this was actually a Tuesday. And they said, oh, and, you, and your first show is next Monday. Oh, my God. So it was six days. And I was like, can I call my mother? <laughs> <laughs> so when we were at the office and I signed my, my, my contract, um, and production contract at the time was $475 a week. It went up right after that to $500 a week. Oh, my and, God. Uh, and I called my mother. And I said, you know, she was, she was a surgical nurse, and so she was uh, – uh, she was in the ho- at the hospital, and I was like, "Mother, you know, I, I got my first Broadway show, and I'm just going to put in a little a parenthetical thing in here. I think it's so interesting that I didn't say I got a Broadway show. I said to her, I got my first Broadway show. Nice. So somewhere in there, I don't know." And she's like, oh, fantastic, you know what? I said, the best little whorehouse in Texas. And she went, oh, you know. <laughs> and fortunately, my mother was like, she's a very pragmatic woman and, right. and not a prude, you know. Um, uh, although my dance teacher, Ms. Martin, when she told everybody about it, then they asked what I got, but she, she said, she got the best little house in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, you know, um, so I watched the show that night, and I hadn't seen the show. So I watched the show that night, and I'm so excited because all the ensemble women in the show have roles. I mean, they're they're all different, and they're all like they're kind of have little things where they stand out. It was like this is so much better than you know step kick step turn, and you yes. know what I mean. It was like wow, which is also one of the reasons I got hired because I never fit into that mold anyway. I was always a character woman, even in my twenties. And, uh, oh, you have legs for days. Uh, oh, I could dance, and I have legs up to my armpits. But I wasn't, I wasn't Dana Moore, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I just, I've always had kind of, a, you know, that sidekick, waka waka waka, you know, that Eve Arden kind of personality. And, uh, um, but so, and then so I'm watching the show, and I'm so excited. And then they started to sing "Hard Candy Christmas," and it's a beautiful part of the show. It's this beautiful ballad at the end of the show, and. And Angel comes down and sings the first verse, and the women sing the chorus, and then the second verse starts, and here comes Ruby Ray. That's the role I was going to be doing. She stands in front of the shotgun mic. This was before we were like oh mic. Yeah. And she sings, Hey, maybe I learned to sew. And my heart went up into my throat. I'm like, I have to sing on a Broadway stage by myself? Oh my God. She sang the first four lines of the second verse. And so my Broadway debut was literally only the second time in my life 
that I had sung a solo. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. And the first one was one line and that's right. Like many a new day or something. That's like that. right. Yeah. That was my the only time that's the second time I'd ever sung by myself in my life. And you have a great voice now. I mean, now you sing all the time. Well, what happened was uh, that show ran, I, I did two, uh, two years. I, I wasn't, you know, a replacement, but the show ran four years. I got hired two years in. And I, there was, I made a point of, um, once I knew I was going to get money every week, you know, get paid every week, my big 475 a week, uh, I was like, all right, now I have to bring the level of my singing and the level of my dancing up to the level. I mean, the level of my acting up to the level of my dancing because I wanted to be a triple threat. Yeah. And I knew... Which you are, just so you know, audience. Yeah. She is. Well, I was. Now I'm like, <laughs> the body shot. So now I'm like two and a half. But then now I write, so I add that. Yeah. So it's like a three and a half threat. You know, but the, the dancing's not very threatening anymore. Um, but I, so I studied. I studied really hard those two years. Uh, uh, took a lot of voice lessons. And, and you know what? The voice was there. It was waiting to be, you know, found. I mean, it, you know, I had great pitch. I had enormous power. I had no vibrato or anything. I had no, you know, which now you could drive a truck through it. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Um, and then um, the Bessel Warehouse in Texas started um, as a workshop at the Actors Studio. So all of the creative people involved with it, for the most part, came from that lineage. Mm. So when I started taking acting classes, it was all either people that uh, had come through the actor studio or people from the actor studio. So that was the, the, the foundation for acting that I got was, was through that. So at the last year of the show, I actually moved up to the role of Angel. So I was doing a principal role. Yes. I was on a white contract. And I sang the first part of Hard Candy Christmas. And there was... Um, we were doing uh, some kind of benefit for something, and uh, one of the stagehands who was new to the show, uh, we did this big dance number, and he came up to me after. He said, "Suzanne, I, I didn't know you could dance like that. I thought you were a singer." And I was like, "Ha ha!" You know, <laughs> okay, right. I'm getting there. Yeah. They're, they're catching up. Yeah. You know? So, so and that was whorehouse. That's great, especially now today. And there's an oversexualization of women. And I see it so much, and it's, I mean, as a gay man, I'm like, these poor women. How is it different? I mean, granted, Whorehouse was about selling sex <laughs> yeah. in a sense, but over these past 30 years, has it gotten worse? Is it, I mean, and as a woman dealing with body image and everything like that? Wow. Um, I think it starts earlier. It certainly starts earlier now. I know that when I was like, my, we were not allowed to take jazz until we were like 11 or 12 years old. Um, my dance teacher and most of the dance teachers felt that it was inappropriate for little girls mm. to be, you know, doing dancing and jazz. And now these, you know, they're doing, they're twerking at seven. Yeah. I, you know, um, so I, I think it starts much younger and. And also, it's much more graphic than it used to be, you know. Um, you know, that's a societal problem, and then it's wrapped around the dance world, too. I really didn't realize how sexualized women dancers are in this business until I got old enough that 
people didn't really want to see me doing that shit anymore, you know, until I was, uh, as Dana Moore says, and she's come up twice in this already, um, you know, there was a point where she realized that she wasn't, you know, it, she'd go into an audition and, you know, she's still gorgeous. Yeah. Her body's still amazing. She can still dance. I mean, you know, and she's like, and I realized I was invisible, that they had decided I wasn't fuckable anymore, you know, and, and, and when you start to become invisible in that respect, you start to realize how prevalent it is and how much it dictates, uh, uh, especially women dancers um, on Broadway. You know, in musical theater. I mean, listen, it's gotten a lot worse for men too. It, it used to be you could just you didn't have to have that body, right. you know. And now the guys are going through it too, but it's still nothing. No, nothing compared. Nothing to compared women. to women. Yeah. And uh, but there's a <laughs> the thing that you miss once you are no longer seen in that way is that you miss the power behind it because there's a real power to to. Being able to, I mean, I, I mean, there's nothing like, all, you know, when you're young and you're dancing and your legs are great and your tits are up underneath your chin and, mm. you know, you're just like, and there's a power because straight men love that crap. Yeah. They get off on it, you know. And they and, rule the world still. And they still rule the world, uh, you know, and uh, and there is, there is a power and you you know it as a woman that this is a tool, mm. you know, and uh, so so yeah, I, it, you know, I, the hardest thing for me I think has been in the last two or three years. My um, I've had a bunch of knee surgeries on my right knee, and uh, and I've kind of reached the point where I really can't wear heels anymore. I just can't, wow. and uh, and there's nothing like as a, a woman dancer. You know, at, at this level, you know, that putting on those heels and knowing that your legs just look, you know, I used to be, people, well, people used to say I had the best legs on Broadway. I, I just have good legs, you know, and part of it was from swimming all these years, oh, right. swimming and dancing, lengthening and then strengthening, and part of it's genetic, and, you know, but I just had a great pair of gams, and they're, you know, putting those heels on and just a little short skirt it's like the world was your oyster yeah. and it's hard to let go of that but but it's harder not to be able to walk so that's, you're like all right true. aren't these cute little yeah. oxfords you know yeah. <laughs> uh, so raggedy ann was your next show and yes, that was my flop yes it considered a flop well I, it was a flop uh, yeah i didn't even i didn't even hear about it till i, I researched you uh Tell me about that and how do you deal with a flop oh my gosh well first of all i mean it 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 was written by Bill Gibson, William Gibson. Mm. He wrote Miracle Worker, Two for the Seesaw. I mean, this this show had had a pedigree. It yeah. had credentials. Um, the music uh, was um, oh crap, his name just flew out of my head. He he he's uh, Joe Raposo wrote the music, and he wrote a lot of stuff for. Um, uh, 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 for like Sesame Street, uh, sing, sing a song, make it simple. Da, da, da. Yeah. He wrote that. Uh, it was directed and choreographed by Pat Birch, who was just coming off of uh, oh, Greece. Yes. So it seemed like okay. Um, and I came in. They had done. They had done a tour of it in Russia, of all places. I joined the company when they uh, out of town tryouts for Broadway. So we were in D.C. and. Uh, 
it was just one of those it was a really odd piece and and they were trying to pigeonhole it into a child you know something that would really be nowadays it would be kind of Disney right. but oh, yeah. the story was so not that I mean the story that he wrote the book that he wrote was you know it's t- it's about this little girl who um, is in a it's a fever dream she has this fever dream she's very very ill and her mother has uh, deserted the family when she was a baby and her father's a drunk I mean it's based on the the man that invented the real Raggedy Ann doll for his daughter who was very ill, and he was a drunk. I mean, so it's dark. And and then there was this character, uh, Leo Burmeister played him, General Doom, who was kept following her around, following this little girl around, uh, trying to, you know, and he was deaf, right? And then the oh mother shows up at one point as a witch. And then, and then like, <laughs> she's trying to get Raggedy Ann to the doll hospital because Raggedy Ann is sick, you know, this is her fever dream. And the death is following, is, chasing after them everywhere. I mean, it was just crazy. It was like a, uh, you know, an opium dream or something, like an Alice Carroll thing or something. Um, so, so, but was, what was interesting about it was that the kids that saw it got it. The adults were appalled. <laughs> ah. But the kids totally understood how to take it. Yeah. You know? uh, but the adults felt like it was inappropriate for kids. You know, anyway, all I know is that... Um, we were in 10 out of 12s for 11 weeks. Wow. The entire time we were in DC, we came back, we did not have any break. And then that you get to start the 10 out of 12s over when yeah. you come in. So we were in 10 out of 12s for 11 weeks. I spent my entire opening week paycheck on my opening night dress. We opened on Thursday and we closed that Sunday. <laughs> but oh we ran four, four days. Four days. That's almost as legendary as Carrie. Oh, yeah. They were all around the same time. Rags and Raggedy Ann actually opened the same year. Carrie was right around the... T- oh, yeah. I, we were on the flop wall at Joe Allen's for a while. I don't think we're there anymore, though. Oh, I'll have to go check. Yeah, I don't think we're there anymore, but we were. We were definitely on the turkey card. Do you remember the turkey card? <laughs> I don't card? remember the turkey card. Oh, my card. God. This was so much fun. It was, a, it was a card that you could get at Thanksgiving, and it was a turkey but if you looked really closely, the turkey, all the lettering was all the Broadway flops. And it was called the turkey card. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is great. Oh, I wonder if they still do that. <laughs> it was definitely on the turkey definitely. card. So you followed that up with a big hit of Jerome Robbins' Broadway. That, I mean, that just getting to work with the legend, and you also did tracks like you were the, one of the strippers. I mean, you had a great stuff in that. How was that experience? That's that's like we could spend five hours on that. Um, it's funny because first, from the moment I saw it in the trades, because that was before internet, everybody, so we were still getting newspapers backstage every week. The moment I saw it in the trades that it was auditioning, that they were doing it, I knew I was supposed to do that show. I knew I was supposed to do that show, and this is why. When I was when I was little, when I was like eight, um, the one of the first shows I ever saw like a community theater production of was was Gypsy, and I fell in love with that show. I, I it had such a profound impact on me, and afterwards, it's I didn't resonate with Dainty June. I didn't resonate with Louise or Gypsy. 
I resonated with those strippers, man. Eight years old, and I, I went back to my studio, and I could do that guttural sound. I used to like imitate um, Louis Armstrong. Hello, Dolly. Yeah. This is Louis Dolly. I could do that at eight, and um, and and so I went back to the studio, and I go and uh and uh and uh uh uh, and I'd imitate those gimmick girls. At, at eight, eight years, years old, old. Oh and I did it for a long time until finally I realized that maybe that I should be embarrassed that I'm you know bumping and grinding because I was kind of demure on a certain level. So I when I saw that I was like I am supposed to be one of those gimmick girls. I just knew it. I've been rehearsing it since I was eight. Yeah. Of course, you know that and a dime will get you. You know. And so I went to the audition and. Um, these auditions were like intense, man. I mean, we oh, had lunch breaks. You got there at ten in the morning. You auditioned till you know till two. You had a lunch break and you came back, and um, and they they had me in there dancing. And look, I mean, I'm a good dancer, but I'm not that top rung. I'm the rung just below the top rung, you know. Uh, so Marianne Lamb. Charlotte, that gang, they're right at the top rung, and I'm like one below it, you know. So, um, but I could sing, you know, so, yeah. so it elevates you, you know. Um, but but they danced us, of course, at first, uh, and almost immediately they took me out of the dancer call and they took me into another room and taught me um, Mr. Monotony, and they, they taught me a couple of songs, and uh, I mean, I spent like an hour and a half in there. And then uh, during lunch break, so I didn't get a lunch, Jerry, who had been in the other room with all of them, came in and listened to me do all this stuff. And then after lunch, I went back in and they taught us, uh, they taught us a little bit of uh, the Baby Beauties, on a Sunday by the sea, you know, and mm. it's like really character dancing, bad, bad forte turns and shit like that. And, uh, and then, um, uh, and then we left, you know, at six o'clock, and, um, and I got a call back, which I was thrilled about, like a month later. And then, um, and and so now they wanted me to read. Uh, um, actually, I read Tessie and and Golda, and you know all this stuff. So so now it's like the, yeah. the stakes are higher. So I went, I did it, fabulous. And then um, they they called like a m a month later, and they said, listen. We, Mr. Robbins wants you to know that he's very interested in you, very, very interested, but we cannot offer contracts. But he, yet, you know, they, they, it, it was such a nightmare getting this show together, just all the shit they had to figure out with equity and all of the creative uh, people and all this stuff, so it took a lot longer. They said, but please let us know if you get anything else. So I booked a film. Which I had never done. I, I, I went into the, you know, I, I booked the lead in a low budget SAG slasher film. And 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 then of course it's supposed to start the same day as rehearsals for Robin. Oh my gosh. So uh, no, it, it starts a few weeks, but it was it was gonna like it started the same day. And then Robin's got pushed back. So then um, I, I go and do the film up in uh, Pittsburgh. It was called Blood Sucking pa uh, Pharaohs in Pittsburgh. That was the name of the film. <laughs> it's kind of a cult classic. You need to watch it sometimes because yes. it's out there. It's crazy. And, uh, and we, got, we got delays. So then I was supposed to go straight from that to rehearsals. And then they, I had to stay for another two weeks. So I thought, oh, I might have just lost this show, you know. 
and they called, you know, I called called my agents, called them, and, and Jerry said, God bless them. He said, well, that happens with film all the time. And thank God we were rehearsing for seven months, right, you know? Yeah. So oh, the seven, two we, well, we were, it was five and a half months and seven weeks of previews. Oh, my God. So, um, so I came in two weeks late. So, And, uh, and so my show was, uh, my big roles were uh, Miss Electra, and I played Golda, and the whole Fiddler section, which uh. was 25 minutes of the end of Act 2. Because... Westside and Fiddler. Westside, uh, they booked in each other. Westside was the end of Act One, and Fiddler was in the Act Two. And the only way that they all agreed to it was that both Westside and Fiddler had to be the same length. Whatever they brought into those, all the creative people that uh, had created yeah. those shows, which who all were at you know rehearsals. P.S. Half the time. Um, so there was a big chunk at the end of Act Two. We did uh, Tradition. We did the Dream. Uh, we did the Wedding. Um, and then uh, okay, Miss Electra. Um, oh, I was a timid girl in the Charleston. That was my favorite number in the show. And then I was a dance hall girl. I was Miss. Uh, I was Domina in form, and then I was a bathing beauty. Oh. So that was my show. And uh, Jerry, you know, you, everybody wants to hear the horror stories about him, but honestly, I I just adored him, and uh, he's the only person in my entire career who's expected as much out of me as I expect out of myself. The only one. You know, it's like my brain was coming out of his mouth. You mm. know? So that, which tells you why I needed 20 years of therapy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there you go, you know. Um, and I honestly, yes, 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 yes. Uh, he, uh, there were some people that he eviscerated. Mm. I mean, that they, I don't think they were ever the same after that. They, some of them left the business. And he, when he went at somebody, it it was um, it was unrelenting, you know, and he just wore them down to a nub, basically. Right. Oh. And I wasn't one of them. And the gimmick girls, Faith and De Faith Prince and uh, Debbie Shapiro Gravit and I were, you know, we were some of his pets. I mean, he loved his gimmick girls. In fact, if he was like rehearsing West Side all day and whatever he was rehearsing, he was in it a hundred percent, man. I'm so. So if he was doing West Side, he was a gang member. Yeah. He was one of those guys. And he could do everything better than everybody else. He was a better jet. He was a better shark. He was a better bathing beauty. He was a better stripper. He just was so plugged into some internal part of him in, in terms of character that uh, you, you could always steal from him and yeah. learn from him. But he also, that's what he expected out of you. So he rehearsed Westside all day, so by the end he was a cranky 17-year-old boy, you yeah. know? So then for the last half hour he'd go, okay, let's see Gimmick, because he'd want to go home in a good mood. Yeah. But that would mean that Faith and Debbie and I had been sitting there all day long, and then you had to crank it up because there was no such thing as marking with Jerry. It oh. was 100%, 100% of the time. Which is great. That's usually how I work anyway. I, yeah. I can't mark, but you know, but you had to be at performance level every minute. Um, what about Michael Kidd? Um, he, he did Give My Girl, right? Well, he came. He yes, he, he came in as director. They in the middle of that was another one that in the middle of it, and again with names out the butt. You yeah, know, the it, names that you've worked with are unbelievable. Yeah, it was because. Uh, uh, um, Marvin Hamlish wrote the music and of course Neil Simon wrote the book and then he wrote the book for the musical and uh, but first at first it was um, uh, Gene Sachs that was directing it 
and he had done all of Neil's plays, and I mean, they had done like 30 productions together. Wait, did I say Goodbye Girl? I think I just Yeah, Goodbye Girl. Okay, just make sure. So, and with Bernadette Peters and Martin Short starring in it. Yes. Uh, and, and Grazi choreographed it. So, uh, but in the right before we started rehearsals, I mean, timing was bad on this one. Uh, Neil let Gene know that this was their last collaboration after 30 years. Ago. Yeah. So that's how we started rehearsal. And in the middle of it, they fired Gene and brought in Michael Kidd to direct it. Grassi was still choreographing yeah. it. And Grassi, it was, it was really, we were in Chicago when all of that happened and it was, it was, it was tough. Everybody was screaming at everybody all the time. I mean, it was just bad. The only person that like was not acting out was uh, Marvin. And I, I had always heard he was a little difficult, but oh my God, I, I, he was amazing. I have never seen anybody as prolifically talented as that man. They'd say, Marvin, you know, we need, oh, you need something else? How about this? Blink, 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 blink. Oh, you don't like that? Well, how about this? Blah, 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 blah. Oh my God. Just songs just like poured out of his fingers. And he was so not married to any of them. It was like, oh, you don't like that? Okay, well, how about this? Blink, 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 you know? And he, it, it was amazing. Everybody else was like melting down and screaming, blah, and then like meetings and, you know, we're all standing there and uh, um, it, it, uh, it missed. It, we ran a year, but um, it, I don't think it should have ever been made oh, really? <clears throat> into a musical. It was dated, and by this point, 20 years later, uh, you know, Mark, uh, Neil is writing this, trying to upgrade this play about a woman, P.S., you know, uh, finding herself, and at this point, he's almost 80. You know, and his take on it all was really kind of stuck in the 60s. So. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, I mean, I think they would have really had to uh, alter it significantly to, to make it uh, current, you know. Yeah. And, and I think it just had some real problems. And, and Michael, was, Michael was so old school. And Marty was, Martin Short is like, you know, he's a comic. That's his world. And he needs to be able to bounce off his bounce bounce off of people to see if things are working or yeah. not. And Michael wouldn't wouldn't let any of us sit in the rehearsal room when he and Bernadette were working together. I mean, oh. it was just there was one thing after another. It was rough. It was a rough. It the the company was great. Right. We, you know, of course, we all banded together, but the the experience was rough, and it was disappointing too because that was the show to get cast in that season. We all thought that we were going to be, you know doing good and yeah. and uh, and if it hadn't been for Bernadette and Marty it wouldn't have run as long as it did wow but between the two of them I mean that's some star power that's some star power yeah we uh, talked earlier about uh, the tribe and the safe haven I know for like a, a gay man the dressing room is like the best place in the world because you just feel feel so fun and I mean and, uh, you almost well you almost outnumber them but now there's the, the, the straight men that are just as gay and silly <laughs> how is it as a gay woman in the backstage in that dynamic and you said that you felt like you were a lone wolf yeah the, I, 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 I said that I had threatened in the 80s and 90s I, I was going to do a callback called the lone lesbian of musical theater <laughs> because pretty much with the exception of about 
two shows or three shows in my entire career, that's including the six national tours, uh, I was the only lesbian on stage. I mean, there's usually like one backstage running lights or something, but as a performer <laughs> or a stage manager, you know, but uh, on stage, I was usually it. Um, and uh, back backstage, I, I never really thought about it that much. Hmm. Um, I mean, first of all, when I was younger, there was always the married women, you know, because half of them I had affairs with. <laughs> <laughs> your integrity is really slipping, Suzanne, and, and you're never going to be number one in this person's life because they're married yes. to a man. Yes. First of all, they're married to a man. Second of all, they either aren't gay or they just don't have the balls to be gay. Yeah. And I am I am gay and I have the balls to be gay. And you and, have integrity. You know, yeah. and... Uh, and so I finally had to put a kibosh on that. But that that, that kept me going for about seven or eight years. <laughs> because it's kind of lonely, you know? Yeah. I mean, every once when I first moved to New York, I, I like when I was doing Whorehouse, there was one night I'll never forget. I was like, that's it. I got to go to a gay bar. I got to go to a, a, a lesbian bar and be around my other people. And, um, and I went down. There was this bar down in the village called The Duchess. Oh. And it was hard uh, hardcore man it, like you walked in and there was it was it was just a dive i mean you expected to see motorcycles out front you know and the women were tough and that was the only lesbian bar in town there was always plenty of options for the men oh yeah you know women have never really gotten all that shit together and uh and I, I mean, I had on my little skirt and my little Broadway outfit and I went sashaying in there and, you know, the, half the women, you know, stood up to pee. I mean, it was tough. And wow. it's like, okay. You know, in, um, have you ever seen the film What's Up, Doc? Not in a long time. Oh, my God, one of my favorite films ever. And there's this point when um, Madeline, um, Madeline, Khan um, yes. is walking up these crink, these stairs up to this like dive where these thugs are gonna go, you know, getting ready to kill somebody, and she's like, eh, "Hello, hello." That's what I felt like in that bar. Hello, is this the lesbian bar? <laughs> hello, you know. Um. Anyway, so um. Yeah, that's that. It, it's always been a challenge, yeah. you know, and and it's a challenge. Either you you know you date one of the four women that are, are gay that are in the business, or that are in musical theater particularly, because that's primarily how I've made my career. Or you venture out of it, and then you have to train them. Oh, you have yeah. to train them about our business, and you have to train them about like. Okay, Suzanne has an audition today. She may not be as nice as she usually is, you know? Or she had a bad audition yesterday. You need to leave her alone. Don't hug her. Don't come fucking near her. Leave her alone. Give her 24 hours to mourn it and let it go. And then we can be lovers again. Don't be needy during that time. Don't ask anything of me. You know? Or, you know, or Suzanne's a 10 out of 12. Don't ask for anything. Yeah, you know, uh, just feed her. That's all. It's so right? True. You have to train them from all of that crap. Yeah. And it's exhausting, you know. And then what happens is, I don't know, are you in a long-term relationship? Oh, no. Okay. See, this is what I found. These people, if they're not in the business, 
they fall in love with us, man. Hook, line, and sinker. Because let's face it, there's a one part of us that's fabulous. You yes. know, we're funny. We're entertaining. We're great with their family. We can schmooze anybody. That's we can so be true. in any social situation. Get get a you know get it figured out and like two seconds and then be on it. So we're great for them, you know, and they and and we're talented and look at our exciting lives yeah. and blah 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 and they fall, you know. And you and I've I even warn them, I'm like, look, there's more to me than this part. You yeah. know, please, there you have to hear me on this. There's the other part of me that's that's, you know, uh, not this, that's quiet and introverted and uh, and this, all of this takes a lot out of me. And sometimes at home, I'm a slug or I have no personality because I had to have so much in my world. And I'm now I'm home and I just want to watch some bad TV. Yeah. You know, or maybe I'm a little cranky because my career is in the toilet right now or whatever it is. Just yeah. don't expect this all the time. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then that part of you shows up. Plus, you know, I had some just real personal issues like PTSD and crap like that. And you've tried to warn them, you know, and you and you're so much better than you used to be. But still, they feel like they've been duped. Yes. Right? They feel like that you lied to them, and it's like, no, 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 no. That's part of me too. That's all. It's all me. Yeah. You know, but you don't get all of that good stuff without some of this shit. Yeah. You know. And so, you know, you wear them down. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you wear them down to a nub, and then they're done. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of off the grid right now. It's like I don't have the energy for yet another training round. Me and neither. All of that crap, you know. Yeah. So. Well, you and I met doing, we were talking about doing uh, regional theater. And uh, because of regional theater is one of the reasons this podcast came about, because you work with so many up-and-coming talent that are so young and so... Uh, they ask so many questions. I know with our experience, you had the two of us with uh, doing White Christmas at Northern Stage with several Broadway shows. And then you had some people, it was their first professional job ever. So it was such a bizarre and unique experience because they were looking at us and, and, I, and, then, and we were talking earlier, we were in such a space of like, you didn't think I liked you. And, <laughs> and uh, you're such a strong, powerful woman and I was very, I was intimidated by you. But we were there to figure out we took that job just as, just as important as we do any other Broadway show. I mean, even more so because there is certain expectations. Do you find like now uh, you like going out to the regions and having that mixture of ages and talent and experience? Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. But it's so interesting in a way because people because you know, and I don't know if you have this also. I'm not a household name. I'm, you know, I'm not even a household name around Broadway these days because I, you know, I dropped my basket about eight years ago and I, I, I lost almost a decade of my career, um, and we'll talk about that in a second if you want. But, yes. um, but, um, but I certainly have um, credentials. You know, I, I've paid my dues in the business, and I, and I, you know, but it's interesting because in, especially in the regions, when you, that first day of rehearsal. And there's all these people from like the, the non-equity people and then the people that are doing their first equity shows and the people that are just starting out in the business and then the, you know, the, the, the people that are doing their first big roles, because, yeah. you know, and then there's the old farts, which I, you know, I am now, you're not there yet, but, uh, um, and, uh, and 
they don't really know who you are, so they immediately kind of assume you're nobody. They either assume that you're local, which is horrible to assume that just because somebody's local, they're nobody. Because look at Terrace. Yeah. You know, she's an amazingly talented woman that's out of uh, Vermont or New Hampshire yeah. and, and works all the time and is funny as can be. What's her last name? Leo? Terrace Leo? I don't remember. Um, I'm horrible with names. But um, C-H-A-R-I-S, if you see her anywhere, go see her. She's great. Um, so they assume that you're, no, that you're nothing. And then I always, it's always interesting to me when the, the, the programs finally come out and they, everybody's in their dressing rooms reading their programs, you know, and seeing who's done what. And suddenly, <laughs> everybody's so much nicer to me. Mm. You know, yeah. It's like uh, unless I've you know been yakking and God knows we can talk about ourselves till the cows come home. So unless I've mentioned along the way somewhere, somebody knows. But then suddenly the young people, once they realize my career and who I've worked with and all of that, then they start kind of gathering around children. Yes. And they start asking, you know. And I'm fine. Whenever you know, I I'm I feel a real strong. Um, What's the word? I, I I want to mentor the next generation. Me too. Because I was mentored by, I worked with amazing people, and it's all in me, and I have it to pass on, and and I'm happy to do it. And but it's tough love, baby. You know, yeah. and these kids, they better. You know, I I taught this year for the first time. I taught I taught a, a vocal performance class. I've never taught anything before. I never wanted to teach dance. And, uh, you know, I don't really have, like, I didn't major in music at school or something like that. But I can teach performance, you know, and it's a vocal performance class. And, and I think they, they learned a lot, and they certainly uh, hopefully had a good time. But it was some tough love. I, I'm tough, you know. I'm, you are tough. I'm tough because that's the world I come from. Uh, you know, if you want everybody to get the, the trophy, that's, don't come to me because I'll, I'll tell it to you straight. Without judgment, without like a point of view about it, but just to help you move forward, you know. And uh, but uh, anyway, what was the question? <laughs> no, no, no. The question is, oh. it's just people ask questions, and it's nice. I think that kids ask questions. Yeah. Because um, I ask questions, you ask questions, but kids today feel like they know everything. Yeah. So they don't always ask questions anymore I don't know I honestly do I, I, I want to give them the benefit of the, of the doubt because I every oh, generation yes. thinks that first of all that they know more than the generations that preceded them and then, then the generation that's preceded them thinks that they're you know these kids are the end greats and you know that's just the nature of time and um, and I I will say this uh, these kids I I'm just stunned by how technically amazing they are. They can do everything. Yes. They can dance beautifully. They sing like opera singers, and they can do pop, and they can, you know, uh, sort of act. The acting is not as much, you know, but, and, and that all, they can play instruments. They can, you know, and, they, and they've got their, their podcast going, and the this going, and the that going, and that's all great. However, there's a fire in their bellies and it shows up in their dancing. They're beautiful dancers, and about 99% of them, I don't care. Because it's more than just technique. Yeah. And they, 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 because they didn't have to claw their way into this business, um, in the, 
Well, maybe they did in a different way, but you know, all, I mean, the the amount of competition to get into these programs is just nuts. Um, but but with their parents' support and all yeah. that stuff, we didn't have any of that. No, you know, we had to figure that out for ourselves, and that that fire I miss that that underpinning is is um, not there for a lot of them. I think you know. So why did you leave the business for ten years, or lose drop the ball, as you say? Oh. Um, well, I was out on the road doing um, uh, Full Monty, and um, 9-11 happened, and the tour closed, and uh, um, it was kind of like the perfect storm of, of a life falling apart, you know? And uh, I ended up, uh, I had about six years of uh, clinical depression, and ended up hospitalized once mm. for it, and... Uh, I mean, I, I lost my mind. I lost, I had to sell my house. I had a bankruptcy. I lost everything. And I lost my career, you know. And and I kind of had to climb my way back out of it. It's like you don't fall, you don't go down the drain in one swoop and you don't come, you don't fill it back up in one swoop. It's a it's a down and then the climbing back out. You know, uh, I mean, I was really ill, emotionally ill, and so there was a lot of healing involved. And then there, finally, there was a point where I was starting to like, I did a little performing during that time, but people need to understand that on the Broadway level, you have to be a hundred percent of your hundred percent to to stay in it. Yeah. It, you can't be at 70% of your 100%. You have to be on top of your game. It is the top of the heap. You know, you're not going to get any higher than, if you're doing musicals for a living, you're not going to get any higher than doing them on Broadway. Right. It's that the top of the art form. And I, I hung in there for like 20 years before I just, you know, blew a gasket pretty much. Uh, but so I was going to auditions, but I wasn't showing up mm. at at a hundred percent because I was showing up at a hundred percent of what I had, but it wasn't yeah what needed to be. So um, anyway, I had a it was a very 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 uh, just the darkest period of my life, and uh, when I started to come out of it, really come out of it, um, there was a point where I thought, you know, I'm not going to be forgiven for in a way in New York because the 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 it's a very small community and especially at the casting offices you know if if you're on their list and you don't come through the way they think you should you're off their list right yes no it's true it's true yeah and uh, and and so I was now pretty much off everybody's list and uh, but I was feeling better you know, and I, it, like I said, a long haul and years, and and I so I I picked up and moved to L.A. for three years because I thought I need to I want to revitalize my uh, performing career. I had started writing during that time, uh, but I wanted to revitalize my performing career. But I don't think they're going to let me here. Mm. So I went out to L.A. to revitalize my my theater career which is bizarre very but, bizarre <laughs> but I worked all the time I mean I worked a lot out there in theater got some of my mojo back I worked with Grazi out there and Michael John Matusa at um, at the taper I worked at uh, Pasadena Playhouse I had I mean because it was all you know I I hadn't lost 
a lot of it was still there. And that's right. why I was building it back up. And then there was a moment where I was kind of like, I feel good. Time to move home. Yeah. You know? And so, actually, Nor- Northern Stage was my first show back when I came back. Oh, home. wow. So it was really significant for me. And I'm slowly working my way back up, you know, um, better projects, more interesting projects. Um, but the, the business has changed so much, I, I don't know if I will be on Broadway again in my life. I don't know if that's going to happen. Because what I lost uh, as an old dancer, losing that ability, which was my, my strongest, I'm not the best singer. I'm a serviceable singer. I can sing like Mormon, and that voice is out of date. Out of, you know, nobody wants that anymore. Um, but there's that level of women that have, were singers first. They, they're still singers first. Yeah. You know? So I'm kind of like here vocally. So, I, you know, I, I'm never going to like latch on to that top rung on that. I don't have a legit, a legit voice. I just don't. You know, I started too late and, you know, I was trying to be a belter and I could do that and that's what I, you know, concentrated on. So, and a, a lot of the roles for women in my age it's either they sing down in the basement, four-note spread, mm-hmm. or they're singing, climb every mountain. <laughs> you know, you don't find many uh, women like, early, you know, I, I just turned 60, and you don't find many roles in that, that age range where they want you to be able to belt a D. No. They don't have that. But you sent me a video, like, just a year ago, of you still kicking to your face. I know, but, you know, that's it. I can't jump. Oh, my God. I went to this, I, I went to my first, like, I went to a dancer call last week for um, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 18. Oh, right. It was, a, it was like the first, you know, it, so it was a Broadway call. I mean, my agents told me about it. I was like, oh, geez. You know, she said, no, Suzanne, they're looking for dancers from 20s to 50s. Uh, char- very character. I'm like, okay. But I said, are they all going to be in the room at the same time? She said, I, I think so. I was like, eh. you know, I know for a fact that if they're look, if they say they're looking for 20s to 50s, and they don't have separate auditions for the 40 and 50 year olds, they're not really looking for 40 and 50 year olds. They're looking for younger people that they're, they're going to expect you to do what the 20 year olds are doing. Yeah. They, yes. You know what? Am I right? You were right. I'm, you know, I, unless it's a separate call. I'm fucked, but I went anyway, and uh, and so and, and the the comedy, you know. So I'm like trying to figure out what to wear as a dancer. I haven't I haven't gone to a dancer call in oh my god, 15 years maybe. So I go in there. Of course, there they all are. The 20s and the 30s. There's one woman in her 40s, one woman in her early 50s, and Mama here. And I'm like, all right, you know, Suzanne, just buck it up. So they taught the combination. It, um, it started. It wasn't a hard combination. It was a, it was kind of Russian folk dancey, but mm. but with a lot of you know they wanted a lot of twenty years ago, man. I would have yeah. blown it out of the park. And then they started to do the stomping and the jumps. And I can't jump anymore. Mm. I just can't. Yeah. It's okay. You can't jump your whole life unless even Cheetah doesn't jump. No. The only person I that jumps that's even anywhere close to me in age is Marianne Lamb, and she's a freak of nature. She's a freak. She's a freak. Yeah. I, I love her dearly, but she's a freak of nature. She's she just I don't know how her body can do what it does. I'm not a freak of nature. Uh, my body's you know my my knees are worn out. I can't jump. Yeah. And I watched it for a minute, and then they were talking about they're going to be all over the forty. Um, the they're going to be at the Imperial, and you know they're going to be using all the space upstairs, downstairs, all the audience. And I thought, 
There is no, I can't even do this on this combination in this room. There is no way that I can run all over the Imperial Theater. Yeah. And and I, for the first time in my life, I walked up to the table. I said, you know what, I'm going to excuse myself from this. Thank you so much. You know, walked out and just was like, it took me, it took me a solid 24 hours to recover from that emotionally. Oh. Because that was sort of like the nail in the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like, and Stacia Fernandez and I had this deal. She's like my, one of my best friends. We allow ourselves after a bad audition, 24 hours to wallow in it and cry and moan and all of that shit. And then let it go. Let it go. Yep. And we let, we'll we'll listen to each other for 24 hours. I mean, we set the clock. We're like, okay, it's seven. Oh, wow. That's and tomorrow smart. Tomorrow at seven, you got to let it go. Yeah. And uh, which is really healthy. It, it allows us to, I mean, it's a brutal business. It is a brutal it's business. It's a brutal business. And if you can't figure out a way to, to maneuver through that, you might as well give it up. Yeah. If you had to pick one highlight or one of your favorite moments in your career, uh, what would it be? I've got two. Two it is then. Okay. I mean, besides the first, you know, the bro, all of those basics like first Broadway show and all that. The first one is, oh gosh, I'm gonna start. Wow, that really, the first one was opening night of Jerome Robbins Broadway. We had rehearsed, we had rehearsed for five and a half months, seven weeks of previews, and really the most heightened way of all I mean every Friday we do run throughs for for five months every Friday we do run throughs for Jerry's friends and the creative people which was Bernstein Julie Stein you know uh, uh, Sondheim Comden and Green and Cheetah and Bereznikov and who anybody that was still alive Mary Martin and yeah. you know anybody that was still alive and in the business would be at these run-throughs every Friday. And Jerry would start getting nervous Thursday afternoon because he really cared what these people thought. Yeah, of course. And, and by Friday, Thursday afternoon and Friday mornings were bad. Oh. And then we'd do, and then we'd get to do it for all of these people that yeah. are the who's who of American musical theater. So, so you know the stress level of being in that show, even if you were having a good time, was extraordinary. So opening night was really, it was like we had graduated from you know, getting our doctorate or something. And and the curtain, the show opened. We were in a clump in the middle, all in different costumes from all all of his different shows. And then we kind of spread out and we bow. We come down stage and we bow all over the stage, and then. Jason Alexander would talk a little bit about what you were going to see, and then they'd say, "Welcome to Jerome Robbins Broadway," and then we'd go off the stage. And we, the curtain opened, we came up, we bowed, and the audience gave us a four-minute, four-minute standing ovation before we started, and we just stood there and cried. It was like. Oh my God! They know. They understand this. How much this has changed us, 
I was a different person when I started that show than when I finished. I started that show a performer, I finished that show an artist. And he did that to all of us, all of us. There's not a person that came out of that show the same as went into it that were original company, not a person. And that audience was filled with people who knew enough that they understood this experience, how significant this experience was. And for him, it was the first time that he'd done anything on Broadway in 20 years. Wow. And, uh, yeah. so, and probably the last thing he was going to do, too. And, and it was all the shows that we loved. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so that, that, I will be thinking about that when I'm taking my last breath. Yeah. The other one uh, was a, a totally different experience, but I was down at the Muni doing a chorus line. I was in my, four, I was like late 40s, old, old as Sheila on record. <laughs> but the Muni, you know, they're really far away. The audience is, is it's a 12,000 seat amphitheater and you're just a little, you know, yeah. peanut on the stage. So when they, when they asked me if I'd do it, I said, all right, you know, all right, I'll do Sheila. But I, you know, I, I just lose a crap load of weight and cause that Millie skin beige leotard, holy crap. Um, I just lose a ton of weight and they can't see my face anyway, I'll be fine. So, um, and I'd never done the show. Oh. I'd never done a, uh, that was the other reason I wanted to yeah. do it. Cause I was in my late forties. I'd already had a couple of knee surgeries. The clock was ticking and I thought, all right, I, I'm going to do it. And, uh, uh, and you know, it was really an emotional experience just even working on at the ballet. I mean, I'll just all of that. And plus that was. The kids that are coming into New York in the next couple of years, there's Hamilton for them. Me coming to New York, it was a chorus line. Mm, It it had just opened a few years before. It was all, it changed everything. I mean, a lot of those people ended up friends of mine, uh, but uh, at the time, you know. So to finally be able to do this show, and one night, uh, like the second or third night, uh, we we were we were getting to at the ballet, and uh, you know Sheila has that lo- long conversation with Zach, and then she starts you know, Daddy always thought that he married beneath him. That's what he said. That's what he said. So and it's very specifically directed. You start that the the conversational part is, um, up is straightforward, and then um, that's what I uh, up the steep and narrow stairway is. A little higher and then but everything is beautiful at the ballets up and out right and uh, so it's really specific places that you're headed uh, Mitzi Hamilton so is original stuff so I, I got to you know but everything is beautiful at the ballet and I looked up and it's an amphitheater and the sky had was just like this lapis blue and there was this moon that was uh, a harvest, you know, a, a July moon. It, it was just coming up over the trees at the top of the amphitheater, amphitheater, and it was enormous. It looked like a cutout for Swan Lake or something. Wow! And and I, I, I just, it was it. I mean, it was the most magnificent moment, and I'm singing this song that means so much to anybody that's ever danced, anybody. 
I, I just never forget that as long as I live, just looking up and I could almost hardly breathe. It, it was so beautiful and it was like, yes, this is it. This was what I'm singing about. Yeah. I, this world that we're in, one of my very favorite things to do is uh, standing backstage before you go on. And I love looking up because I love the way the lights, you know, the, the lights cross each other and come down and create the pools and, the, and the, how, how striking they are right as they're leaving the instrument. You know, the pink is pink and the blue is blue and the, all that. And then it comes down and it all joins together and creates something else. But just the colors are, are it's like fairyland or magic land. You yes. Know? And I can just stand backstage waiting to go on and look at all of that. And even to this day, I just feel so privileged to be standing there and looking at living in this world of magic you know and having lived my almost my entire adult life in this world of magic it's uh i'm just profoundly grateful you know and and, you know since i had what my friends call the great unpleasantness when i lost my mind and came back from it i'm i'm even more grateful because i you know i almost checked out and uh and i just i'm just so grateful to be in this amazing business that's brutal and but beyond all that it's it's magic it's magic it is magic i'm so grateful and privileged that you did this interview thank Thank you you so much i learned so much (laughs) from you and um i'm honored you did this what song would you pick to end your podcast with there's no business like show business any specific version? Well, because I know you did the tour. Yes, I did. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, ultimately probably Merman because it's just classic. But I love the reprise. It's it's so because it, she starts out it's just little tinkling music, uh, and then you know she, she sings it very softly. There's no business like show business, like no. Uh, you tell me it's so. Uh, and then it starts to blah, 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 you know. So I like the reprise, but uh, I like any version of it. I mean, there's so many songs. I, I, I thought yes. about it. It's like, but ultimately, either that or I'm still here. Done. I'm yeah. still here. That one resonates too, but it seems kind of, I mean, either one of them. Kind of, well, you're, when I do part two of uh, <laughs> part two of your podcast, uh, you'll be up still here. Okay, you got it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you too. There's no business like show business, like no business I know. All made up and soon you'll be appearing. Every bit of nervousness is gone. And the sound that's music to your hearing, to hear them cheering when you come on. They smile when they are low. How I wish the folks at home could only see what's coming.